Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Wednesday edition of the Yard. Yep, it's the hump day edition, kids. We're already at Wednesday. Every day just kind of feels the same. I mean, you know, it's like when you work every day, every day's the same. And so I get up and I think, okay, well, tonight I got to record the show, got to do that. But, you know, I used to keep the calendar, you know, by the Mississippi State Athletics calendar. And when there's nothing going on, I begin to kind of wonder, okay, is it really Wednesday? Is it, is it Thursday? What's going on? You know, so all of that is, is, you know, stuff that I kind of deal with. But, um, yeah, it's been a busy week, man. I've already got a couple chapters written for the new book. And I'll keep you guys apprised of all the updates on that as best I can. But, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun already. You know, the, the thing that I remember, too, is like when I was writing the chapter about the Tulane series – and uh, we're going to chronicle the whole season. There's some things, obviously, that um, you guys are aware of and some things you're not. But, uh, you know, so I'm working through that. And it's like it's amazing to me to think about how close we came to getting swept by Tulane. And you can kind of look back in hindsight now and say, you know what, we're still kind of finding our identity as a club and, and kind of figuring some things out pitching-wise. But, you know, we had some things offensively early on, too, that were, uh, you, know, you know, less than advantageous. But the thing that you saw even early on in that series is there was no quit in your Bulldogs. And that's probably the most redeeming quality of this team is they never felt out of a ball game. And, but it's, uh, it's crazy to think about. You know, we walked it off with a, with a grand slam. We scored six runs in the ninth inning on Saturday. And then we turn around and walk it off on Sunday. You know, where there were two blown saves in the Sunday game. Spencer Price comes in and gets two outs. Next thing you know, he gives up a single that a two-run bomb. They go up, they go up a, a run, and then we come back 
against uh, Gillis, their closer, and uh, get him. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's what happens. What great teams do is they find a way to win. And very early on in the season, you could tell, even before State settled a lineup and settled a pitching rotation, that we just certainly had a will to win. Uh, speaking of books, too, if you're going to be in the Greenwood, Mississippi area on Thursday, please come by and see me at Turnrow Books. I'll be there from 5 to 7.30. I think I had originally reported that as a 5 to 7 deal. It's going to be 5 to 7.30. So make plans to come out and attend. All four books will be available for purchase at Turn Row. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Blooms of Oleander. So if you need to complete your set, come on out and you can do that. And a lot of people have reached out and said, hey, Steve, I want to get Blooms of Oleander. And, you know, Turn Row is just beginning to carry the book. And so, you know, supplies will be there when I'm there on Thursday. And uh, hopefully they'll continue to carry it after that. But if you guys need the book, obviously you can find it elsewhere. But I am a firm believer in supporting Mississippi's independent bookstores, whether they carry my books or not. I'm a firm believer in Mississippi business, and uh, I like to see our, our people thrive. We have such a rich literary heritage in the state of Mississippi, and a lot of that is kind of cultivated in these independent bookstores that do an awful lot to help our Mississippi writers. And, you know, there have been so many writers that have come through our state, even John Grisham himself. You know, he he, he writes A Time to Kill uh, and self-published it through a company called Hazelden. And the quality of those books, not especially great. If you can find one in mint condition, you really have something of value. Uh, you can find some copies out there, even some signed copies, but a lot of those books are falling apart because they've just got so much age on them. But, you know, when John Grisham got started... You know, he just didn't have a lot of places to go sell his book. And John Evans at Lemuria uh, Books there in Jackson was a friend to him early on. And so a lot of the John Grisham experience, you know, the genesis of that was the independent bookstore in Mississippi. And so, again, I encourage you, whether you're buying my books or somebody else's or John Grisham's or whoever's, you know, please support our independent bookstores here in the state of Mississippi. Again, it's 5 to 7.30 this Thursday. So that's, you know, tomorrow that you'll have an opportunity to come out and uh, get blooms of oleander and whatever else you need come by and say hello just come hang out for a while i love that bookstore man in greenwood greenwood's a great little town man it really is you know in many respects uh you're kind of the jewel of the mississippi delta i really like the town i like going to crystal grill there and i'm going to do that too go have some dinner there really enjoy that place that's one thing i try to do when i'm out and about is eat local I, i guess in many ways i'm just kind of a an old-fashioned guy, man. I just believe in supporting, you know, free enterprise and certainly small business whenever we can. And there are a lot of people that are very successful in our state uh, as restaurateurs. And so I'm a firm believer, as always, in uh, repping those places and supporting them uh, with our patronage. And so we, we have a real, real, real gift here in the state of Mississippi when it comes to cuisine and I know everything is deep fried around here, but you can get a healthy meal at a good restaurant. And I encourage you again to get out and go support those local restaurants. So uh, a couple of things I want to talk about before we uh, get into the show. We're going to talk a lot about the Major League Draft today. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's some things out there that always kind of – I don't want to say they bother me. They just kind of concern me. There are people that like to attribute statements to me that I didn't make. And I guess that's just kind of the, you know, the price of the life that I lead, I guess. But uh, – I have not made any public statements about this uh, Lane Kiffin rumor. I don't care what Lane Kiffin does. I don't care about his personal life. I, I don't care what he has going on. It is not my business. I have no opinion 
on what he does. Uh, I'm just uh, all I'm really concerned about is what does, what does he do as a football coach when he plays Mississippi State, and uh, what does he do on the recruiting trail that somehow impacts Mississippi State. So if you read or hear uh, any comments out there, and there are some out there again by the Ole Miss fan base media that have proven once again that their sources about me are no better than their sources are about anything else. And so I just wanted to share that with you and kind of clear the record. I got no opinion on that issue. I, I, that's one of the things they teach us in, in, uh, in recovery is, you know, we don't have, you know, opinions on outside issues. That is an outside issue. And, again, I absolutely could not care less, uh, you know, what Lane Kiffin's got going on in his personal life means absolutely nothing to me. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Man, what a great place to do business there. We talk about eating local. You can do it now in three locations, right there on Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then right here on University Drive in Start Vegas. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I have loved them for a long time. It is a love affair that has been very rewarding for me because it is a great meal every time I go. Great food, great service, great prices, Incredible portions, man. That's the thing that always gets to me is, you know, they give you this great food at such a great price, but they give you so much of it. You know, it's like if you're looking to get full, if you're just thinking, man, you know, I'm I'm famished. I got to go get a good meal. And a lot of places you go, they kind of leave you wanting more. That's not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. You absolutely get more for your money at Bulldog Burger Company than anywhere else. Go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And we all need more of that, right? Go check them out. Get that chocolate shake to go. That's a great, great grab-and-go dessert rather than kind of tie up a table there and sit there. And even, listen, if you want to do that, that's fine too. But if you're in a hurry, you don't have to sit there and kind of prolong the meal. You can get that chocolate shake to go and uh, drink it on the way back to the office or all the way back home, whatever you want to do. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So we're going to do this in a couple of segments. I want to really start first about the current Mississippi State players. And so no real surprises in the draft when it comes to those players. We expected to lose Tanner and Rowdy and Will and Christian for sure. And we thought Sarantola would go too just because, you know, his potential was through the roof. Well, all five of those guys were drafted. I want to run that down for you too. Of course, Will Bednar goes in the first round. I would say about what I expected. I thought he would go in the teens. Really happy that he went to the Giants. Of course, I kind of defected to the Giants when uh, they drafted Will Clark and brought him up uh, back in 86. So I I was with uh, the Giants through the Kevin Mitchell years, the Jeffrey Leonard years, the Candy Maldonado years, obviously the Will Clark years, the Barry Bonds years. But I really kind of lost my affection for pro baseball you know, when they had that stoppage and they had a couple of them and then it's like, you know, I, I just got sick of it. I'm like, you know, guys, listen, I'm here for the joy of the game and I understand there's an economic component to this, but I, I think I'm out after this. I, I, I do. I think I'm out. It's like the, the fans were absolutely uh, in, in you know, kind of a, a casualty of all of that stuff with the collective bargaining agreement. And I understand that's part of professional sports, but I just kind of lost my enthusiasm you know, for Major League Baseball after that. Listen, I hope our guys all go do well and make a bunch of money, but I just don't watch a bunch of MLB. I know they're, you know, Joel Coleman, my friend, he is an absolute Atlanta Braves fanatic, but, you know, as crazy as a lot of these people are about these MLB teams, you know, my, my focus and my energy is on Mississippi State Athletics, and so 
that's just how I feel about it. But um, but nevertheless, I'm happy that Will Bednar got drafted by the Giants and uh, might actually tune in and watch a little bit of that as he begins to kind of work his way through the minors. I do agree with Tim Corbin's comments. I think he will be a one or two in the MLB. I don't think he'll be you know, a situational guy or a guy that's down the rotation. I think Will Bednar has the potential to be a big league starter for a long time. His fastball plays up. That's the thing with you know, nowadays with the spin rate. You know, years ago, everybody said, man, you got to keep the ball down, got to keep the ball down. Not, not anymore. You know, they're they're kind of working some things mechanically to give you that better spin rate. And so as a result, you know, you can kind of, you know, work up in the zone and challenge hitters. And a lot of times they see that ball up in their eyes and they're thinking, hey, I can go get it and knock this thing out of the park. And next thing you know, it's by him. So Will kind of has that, you know, that skill set that's in his arsenal. And so I think he'll do exceptionally well. And he is about to be a very, very, very wealthy young man. This is uh, absolutely ridiculous numbers. Slot value for him, just over $4 million. So what's the slot value, Steve? Well, that's basically as part of the collective bargaining agreement. They decided this a few years ago because there's so many people that would, uh, you know, it's like you'd have a guy that perhaps was the number five pick and maybe he signs for four or five million as a signing bonus. And then another team would come back later and pay a guy drafted behind him a lot more money. And so they wanted to add, you know, I guess, I, I guess, you know, some fairness to this whole thing. And so there is, you know, kind of the targeted, slot value and there is a little play in that I mean you can kind of negotiate up or down you know we saw some of that when JT Ginn was coming to high school they didn't want to pay him his full slot you know we've had a couple guys that did that and so they like to come to school and so it's not a foregone conclusion that all these guys that are drafted will go but but most of them will it's certainly the guys the five guys on the Mississippi State side I think all five are going to sign I don't think there's really any question about it I know there's some people out there kind of hoping against hope you know, that maybe Rowdy will come back. You know, here's the thing with Rowdy, as I've said with you guys before, he kind of is who he is. He is a great college player, but he doesn't necessarily profile as a big leaguer. And a lot of it's just because of the fact that, you know, he's good at everything, but he's not great at anything. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He's very well-rounded as a college player, but, you know, in a bigger ballpark, you know, he's going to become more of a doubles hitter. And maybe that helps him too. Maybe it changes his approach some at the plate. But uh, we'll get more on Rowdy a little bit later in the show. Tanner Allen goes in the fourth round at pick number 118 to the Miami Marlins. I, I would say it's about right, but I actually think it's probably a little bit lower than I, I thought. I thought he might have a chance to go in the third round. Of course, he's one of the first picks of the fourth round. Really thought he would go on day number two. You know, they, they did Sunday was, you know, the first round. Monday was second and third. And then, of course, they, they kind of run through the rest of the stuff. Or, excuse me, second through ten, excuse me, on, uh, on Monday. But I did think that he might go a little bit earlier. Slot value for him is uh, just under $490,000. That's a pretty good start at life. I mean, obviously, it's not the life-changing money that Will Bednar is going to get. But, you know, how many of us would love to be able to graduate from college and then have like a nest egg of four hundred grand to start life with? You know, and so obviously some of these guys got to pay student loans back. But, you know, when you got four hundred grand to work with, I mean, you know, you're pretty good shape for the most part. It's the first thing a lot of these guys do. It's a shame. You know, when they get their signing bonus, they go pay off for student loans because of the fact that uh, they're baseball players and they're not in head counter sports. So as a result, it's a partial scholarship. It's an absolute shame. It needs to be changed. And I don't care what needs to be done. they got to figure it out. It's absolutely wrong what's happening. You know, and here's the thing, too, about Tanner Allen. Two people talk about his age. You know, say, hey, you know, he's an older guy, whatever. And he is. 
You know, he is, he is an older guy, you know, so it's like you, you got to kind of get him going in the system sooner rather than later. And I don't think that he's a guy that's going to hang around at low A ball and that kind of stuff. I think that he's a guy, when he gets done with the short season, I think they'll find somewhere for him to go. You know, they're investing some money in him, and so I, I think there's a real good chance that uh, he, he will skip some levels due to his age and his ability to hit the baseball. Arguably the best amateur hitter in college baseball. And so I, I think that we're going to see T.A. kind of jump up probably to double-A, and I wouldn't rule out triple-A here in a year or two, just because I think he has that type of commitment uh, to kind of making things happen. But, uh, yeah, obviously very happy for T.A., and he will sign. Okay, I've seen some comments out there in the Facebook groups. Well, maybe it'll come – no, no, not coming back. And the thing about T.A. too is, is you know, it's, you're going to make him a corner outfielder. You know, and, and it's interesting, too, we talk about the arm situation – I don't know if you guys remember this, and I'd forgotten about it, and so I was writing about the two-lane series. T.A. threw out two guys at the plate in that two-lane series. Two back-to-back games. One of them for a double play. You know, they get a leadoff triple, and he catches the ball, you know, rounds it off, gets behind it, gets some momentum going towards the plate, and throws a guy out. Luke Hancock makes a great tag. And so, yeah, can he do it? Yeah, a lot of times you, know, you put your best arm guy in right field, and you put your best glove guy in left, your best speed guy in center. You know, and T.A., I think, could be a left fielder in the right circumstance. But, you know, listen, this is a guy, too. Remember two years ago, he was just kind of trying this thing on for size. You know, we all knew that he wasn't going to be a big league first baseman. I mean, he's about 5'10". And so he doesn't have a natural position. And if you see his parents, I think his mom is about 5'1", five foot, five foot and his dad's like 6'5", six 6'6", six, six, six maybe. His dad's a big guy. And so, T.A. is kind of right there in the middle of his parents. But, uh, listen, what a, what a great, great ambassador for Mississippi State baseball. A legend, man. Absolute legend. And I know that he's doing that T.A. 5 website. And, listen, if you want some gear, man, go get it. That guy, that guy absolutely deserves it. And now you can go buy stuff and he can profit from it. It's not a violation. All right, let's get a little closer here. Eric Sarantola, uh, round five, pick 139 to the Kansas City Royals. Obviously, uh, he'll have some uh, company up there. He can go to dinner with uh, Chris Jones and Willie Gay, Martinez Rankin. You know, you got some Bulldogs up there, Eric. So, if, you know, if you need help moving, there's some big guys up there may help you out. Nothing else to tell you what school district to drop into. And, and it, Sarantola, of course, is a guy that's getting drafted on potential rather than production. The guy's stuff is absolutely ridiculously electric. I think that he is a guy that really has a chance. He could have like a Brandon Woodruff type uh, development. You know, Woody was a guy a little banged up here when he was at State. I mean, just a great young guy, man, and really, really happy for him. And the guy's been, what, opening day starter and back-to-back years for the Brewers. He is their dude, and he can handle the bat. It's insane how good an athlete the guy is. But I think Sarantola can have, like, a similar development path. I think that he is a guy that will get into minors and not have all of this other stuff hanging around. And let's be honest, the crowds in minor league baseball are going to be a lot smaller than what he's seen here. And so maybe it gives him a chance to kind of work through some things mentally and kind of toughen up a little bit. And, again, I don't say that to be negative. I think we all kind of know that sometimes the moment gets a little bit big for Eric. But, man, when that guy's locked in, man, he's filthy. The problem is is when he starts walking guys and missing his spots and he can't locate, the confidence issue kind of rears its ugly head. Starts doubting himself a little bit, starts nibbling around the plate rather than just kind of pounding his own. And with his stuff, he can kind of afford to do that. 
Guy looks like a big leaguer. I mean, like when you turn on the Major League Baseball Network, I mean, the pitchers look like Eric Tarantola. And those guys coaching in minor leagues know exactly what they're doing. They know how to develop guys. So I think Sarantola could be one of those guys that I don't think there's going to be a lot of middle ground with him. I think he's going to do great, or I think it's not going to work. I don't think he'll just be good. I think he'll be great, or he'll be out of the league in a couple of years. Slot value for Sarantola, uh, right around 400000 Right around 400000 So, again, you know, a good start at life, you know, for those guys. Uh, round five, pick number 159, Christian McLeod of the Minnesota Twins. Not the least bit surprised with this in any way whatsoever. I'm a Christian McLeod fan. You know, yeah, he kind of faded some down the stretch. And, and I've had some people tell me they think he was tipping his change up a little bit, and maybe he was. And maybe it's just one of those things that we overlook because we see it all the time. And maybe we didn't do a good job self-scouting. I don't know. I'm not going to be critical of the national champions, right? But there was some obviously some things changed late. And maybe it's just the fact that some people had watched enough film on him and kind of picked up on some tendencies. But those guys in the minors will get him straightened out. The guy is incredible as a young man. I mean, absolutely incredible. And he'll work. He's probably the hardest working guy on the team, honestly. The guy works exceptionally hard. It's one thing Scott Fox all will tell you about his guys. And maybe it's because of the recruiting element. That's one of the things you, you can kind of develop some work ethic, but when they show up with it, it's that much better. Christian brought that with him from day one. You know, we had the red shirt year when he was really sick. And we were preparing to go to Omaha back in 19. And Elijah Magnamy tells me how great McLeod's going to be. He said, man, this guy is absolutely filthy in scrimmages. He said, I don't even like hitting against him. And then he gets out there, and, and people forget this too. I, I read some of the stuff too, and, and I'm going to say this, and it may hurt some feelings, and that's okay. There are a lot of people out there that want to play the pretend expert and say, oh, yeah, I kind of saw this coming. No, you, no, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because here, you know, here's the numbers for Eric Sarantola. In 2020, he was 4-0 in four starts with a 0.86 ERA. He allowed two runs, had 35 Ks, I believe six walks, and 21 innings pitched. Now, granted, he didn't play against SEC competition yet. But there's nothing in the numbers, there's nothing in his film that tells you in 2020 that he's not going to be a stud in 2021. Nothing. Did he get a little draft-itis? Maybe. I don't know. But I know this. When he was locked in, he was absolutely devastating. That outing he had at Alabama was phenomenal. And he was better on the road. We all know it. He was. He got beat up a little bit in Omaha. But as I've said on the show before, we don't make it to Omaha without Christian McLeod. We're not a top-eight national seed without Christian McLeod. And so, while I would love to have him, him have pitched a little bit better in Omaha, I'm not going to sit here and throw shade at that guy's contributions to our program this year. You know, everybody kind of goes through some of this. This is his first full year of college baseball. And so, you know, Christian's one of those guys, too, that I think you look at you know, down the road and you figure out, you know, maybe a fresh start is good for him. You know, maybe getting away from here, maybe getting away from some of the expectations here will be good for him. Because with all this competition here, I mean, you know, you saw, you saw what happened with Sarantola, right? All of a sudden, Sarantola can't locate, and he loses his spot in the rotation of Jackson Fristo. You don't think that weighed a little bit on Christian McLeod? 
I mean, you got Will Bednar out there throwing darts most of the time. And so it's only reasonable to think that a younger guy would have, you know, some feelings like that and put a lot of pressure on himself. He knows that he's draft eligible this year. He knows that his family is counting on him. He knows that Mississippi State is counting on him. And and that's a big burden to carry. And and the great ones find a way to do it. But, again, I'm a Christian McLeod fan. I wish that guy absolutely the best. Uh, The number five guy for us, Rowdy Jordan, the only guy to go on day three for us, and uh, went pretty early, round 11, pick number 322 to the New York Mets. The Mets obviously like the Bulldogs a lot. JT Ginn, Cole Gordon, Jake Mangum, obviously have a really good scout here, right, for the Mets do. And, again, some people say, maybe Rowdy come back for another year. Guys, listen, you know, I selfishly would love all these guys to come back and give us an opportunity to go defend our NAFL championship. I think we're going to have a chance to do that anyway. But listen, Rowdy Jordan needs to go. And it's not because we don't love him, and it's not because we wouldn't value his contributions next year. If he comes back, he's not going to have an opportunity uh, to really make any money. That's just not how it works. And we, people always say, well, you, know, you lose, lose your leverage, but a lot of people don't know what that means. And so – Rowdy will have a chance to negotiate a decent signing bonus. I don't know, somewhere around 100000 or whatever. If he doesn't, if he go, comes back, then the next year, I mean, a signing bonus will shrink down next to nothing because you have no leverage. I mean, right now, Rowdy can say, you know what, guys, if I, we can't get this thing negotiated out and settled. I'll just go back to school for next year. And, yeah, I don't know if Rowdy needs the money or not. I know Rowdy dreams of playing Major League Baseball someday. And I don't know if he's a career minor leaguer or makes the big leagues or not. I don't, I don't want to put a cap on anybody. But he needs to go. That's what's best for Rowdy Jordan. You know, he needs to go. I mean, he kind of is what he is. He's a really, really good college player. He's a great college player. But he's going to be the same college player next year that he is this year. And so I think Rowdy is very well, you know, apprised of his own situation. And I think he'll go ahead and sign. I think all five of the Bulldogs that's, that were drafted are going to sign Major League Baseball contracts and they're going to move on. I don't, I don't think there's really much question about that at all. So enjoy the memories that we have. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. 
You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. These guys. We got some more memories to make, but they're going to be with some other guys. And that's a thing that always comes up. People say, well, Steve, what, did, what are we going to do without T.A. and Rowdy? Well, as I've said on the show before, you know, the same thing that we did, uh, you know, after we lost uh, Jack Kruger and Nate Lowe, Reed Humphreys, back in 16. Same thing we did after we lost, you know, Brent Rooker in 17. And same thing we did... Uh, you know, after 18, you know, when we lost a handful of guys, Hunter Stovall, a couple others. You know, same thing we did after 19, you know, when Jake Mangum left. Same thing we did after 20 when uh, Jordan Westberg and Justin Foskey left. You know, this is Mississippi State baseball. It's just not like some other sports where, you know, we, we just kind of have to build around a class and, invest a couple of years and then they all get to be upperclassmen and then we have a really good year and then we're back at the bottom again we're not on a roller coaster at mississippi state baseball and the level with which chris lamonis and gotro and Vauxhall are recruiting this is sustainable and so as much as we love those guys we're going to love the next guys too because that's what we do at mississippi state is we continue to recruit and develop great players. And if you look at what's happened here in recent years, I mean, I ran down the first-round draft picks for you on the Monday show. You know, we're having more guys get drafted. We're having more guys get drafted in the first round. We have to keep updating that graphic out in the outfield. And I can promise you, Chris Lamonis nor John Cohen mind that one bit. That's money well spent. 
But we are, we are an elite program. And now we've got the championship. Maybe some of you guys will believe me a little bit. We are an elite college baseball program. And elite college baseball programs consistently recruit superior talent. And that's where we are. That's who we've become. Now, there were years that's who we wanted to be. And now we're there. You know, and I've shared this with you guys before. And I guess some of you guys think I'm joking. You know, we had the whole deal, you know, where things changed towards the end of Polk's career. They did. And I'm not saying anything negative about Ron Polk. He is a legend. Uh, he has always been a great friend to me. As a matter of fact, to my left, I have a framed autograph from Ron Polk that I was given for my birthday when I was about 14 years old that said, uh, best wishes always, Ron Polk, to Steve. And it's a little 3M sticky note that's framed. My dad gave it to me, and uh, I look at it every single day and feel privileged to know that I lived in a time when Ron Polk was our baseball coach. But things had changed in the recruiting game. And I think in many respects, too, you know, as a fan base and as a program, we got a little bit arrogant. We said, you know what, you know, we're Mississippi State. These guys will come here. Well, then they didn't. And Dan McDonald was up there at Ole Miss killing us. He was. Offering guys early, commit them early. And you know, we were thinking, that's okay. They'll come to camp because everybody wants to be a Bulldog. And that may be true, but we got out-recruited. We just did. That's the reality of it. And maybe we couldn't admit it at the time, but in hindsight, maybe we can. And so Ole Miss, in many respects, you know, really put together a really great run in the early 2000s. You know, Mike Bianco and them kind of struggled to beat State in the first couple of years. They got it going. Once he got his guys in, they got it going. And it was like they had the juice, and we were kind of struggling a little bit trying to figure out how do we replace a legend? You know, what do we do? And so – we kind of struggled with that for a while. But when we hired John Cohen and John modernized our recruiting approach, John modernized the analytics aspect of things. You know, it wasn't just, hey, we're just going to go by our gut feeling here. Let's get the data. And if you know John, you know how important the numbers are. But all of a sudden, you know, it's like John gets here and we kind of got to revamp and we kind of struggled just a little bit there for a couple of years. You know, because, you know, when he got here, we didn't have anybody committed. And so we had to kind of piece together a class there in the end. We won a few ball games here or there, but next thing you know, a few years later, you know, we're playing for a national championship. You know, it's like you look up one day and it's like, how'd this happen? In the middle of all of that, they changed the bats, they changed the balls. You know, so it's like this, this new brand of baseball, we had to kind of find our way through that too. Because it was a different set of measurables to play that, that game. You knew back in the, the BB Corps days and the bad baseballs, you weren't going to hit home runs. So you had to go out and recruit guys that could bunt. You had to go get guys that could run. You had to get guys that um, you know were good contact hitters, guys you could hit and run with. And so the game changed a little bit. Well, then they changed everything again. I mean, you're still swinging a BB core bat, but the technology's improved a little bit, and they changed the seams on the baseball, and all of a sudden it's more like real baseball. But this is when it changed for Mississippi State. When we hired John Cohen, that's when things changed. That's when Mississippi State kind of became who we really wanted to be. You know, we talk so much about how great the 80s were, and they were. I lived through them. Those guys are my heroes. But you know what? We were up and down a little bit too, especially in the postseason. 
You know, we go we go to the College World Series in 81, 85, and 90. Should have gone in 84. Probably should have gone a couple other times. So we go twice in a decade in the 80s. And for many of us, we consider that our glory years. Went to Omaha twice. And really only challenged for the NAFL championship once. And so we were kind of good for around here. You say, Steve, you're being disrespectful. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth. We were a great Southeastern Conference baseball team. We were. And as we got closer and deeper into the 1980s, we were a national team. You know, listen, Rafi and, and Will really put us on the map in 85, and really 84, to be, to be fair. Even though we didn't get to Omaha that year, we got put out by Texas in 84. But yeah, that was a great team, too. And that's what kind of made us you know, more nasty recognized. And you give Polk a lot of credit, too, for kind of, you know, changing. You know, in his day, he was the guy that kind of began the national recruiting aspect of things. You know, there, there were a lot of guys back then, you know, in the 70s and early 80s that, that just kind of recruited, you know, their own state and just got the best players from around there. You know, Polk was the first guy that really kind of got went out there and did some things. I mean, you know, Bruce Castorius from New York, for crying out loud. You know, Mike Kelly is the guy that um, – you know, walked on to Mississippi State, you know, when Jimmy Bregan was here. But that was a guy that Polk knew, too, a guy from Chicago. You know, Mark Gillespie was from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, and so Polk, you know, kind of changed the recruiting footprint for Mississippi State. And while we still kind of maintained that a little bit, you know, there's some schools that caught us. You know, LSU mainly. People forget this, too. And I don't think people fully appreciate this, especially you younger guys. Guys, LSU had never been to Omaha before Skip Burtman got there. Never. Never. We talked on this show here a while back about how State's always been good at baseball. And we deserve to win an AFL championship because we have consistently committed to baseball in Starkville. That's what seems so unfair. Listen, Skip Burtman built LSU. Skip Burtman built a program at LSU. He built a dynasty at LSU. LSU was next to nothing before Skip Burtman. And then look at what he made them. And kind of look at where they are now, too. You know, I mean, the, the, the big shadow of, of, uh, of the skipper kind of hung on for a while. You know, they go, they hire Smoke Laval, and, you know, Smoke gets to Omaha a couple times. I think he went 0 for 2 both times. You know, then they could bring in Maneri, who was one of the hottest coaches in the country, and he wins the national championship, right? And Skip was AD. And so, you know, LSU still going to be LSU, and they're getting back to that with Jay Johnson. But my point being is that, you know, as great as we were in the 80s, and you know, we were surpassed. I mean, in 1990, Georgia, of all people, won an NFL championship. Georgia. You kidding me? One of the worst Omaha teams in the SEC. And so when Cohen got here, you know, things changed. And, of course, John, of course, played, you know, in the tail end of our glory years in the 80s and – Made it to Omaha in 90, a team that wasn't even expected to be there. We figured it out, though. We made it. You know, we hung a banner, a real one. But things changed. And so then you go get, you know, Canizaro, of course, who was a recruiting genius. And he's the reason you got Tanner Allen. You know, Mississippi State recruited Tanner Allen – it's a priority throughout the process. And Andy had just simply beat us to the punch on building a relationship. And so when Andy came, he brought Tanner. 
you know, then you recruited some other guys. I mean, Andy was recruited at a very, really, really high level at Mississippi State. And that's one of the reasons you go get that guy because, listen, we got the facilities, you go get the players. Obviously, things didn't work out with Andy. And, uh, you know, Gary hangs in there for a while. Gary was you know, good in the clubhouse, that sort of stuff. I think his uh, even demeanor was very good for that team. But, you know, that, that, that 18 team, you know, with Luke Alexander and Hunter Stovall and those guys, I mean, they didn't need a lot of Getty up. You know, they struggled early on in the year. I mean, they were going through some unprecedented times. Couldn't even take BP on their own field till the middle of the season. But then you go get Crystal Monis. You know, and that's the thing that people will tell you. Dan McDonald will tell you himself. You know, he was kind of the driving force behind recruiting up there at Louisville. You know, when you're a head coach, you know, you've got to – Dan obviously goes out. My point being is that, you know, Lamonis was a guy, obviously, that understood what it took to recruit at a high level. And let's be honest – you know, Louisville is not the program that a lot of people thought it was going to be. It's better. You know, Louisville was just another team in the Power Five until Dan McDonald got there. Now the guys built the program there. It's his program. Kind of like with Skip Berman. They don't have a championship to show for it. But Louisville's going to be back next year. You better believe it. Dan's too good a coach. But Lamonis was instrumental in that, in building Louisville into what they are. And so when we begin to think about recruiting and all that sort of stuff, and there's so many people, too, that don't really follow college baseball recruiting, and then all of a sudden we get down here to the end, well, what kind of recruits do we have? Well, guys, we're going to talk about that a bit later in the show. we got a great recruiting class. Like I see the comments on Facebook and a couple of people, oh, our signees got drafted. Oh, my God, guys, we signed 21 players, 21 Think about that for a second. We'll get back to that. Let's jump on this top ten list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. johnnypacker.com. Go check it out today. Promo code BONEYARD will save you 10% on your order. And a portion of every purchase is directly deposited into the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. Very, very simple. Go find some great sunglasses. I am a big proponent of sunglasses. I am also a big proponent of doing business with Bulldogs whenever possible. Very, very important to me. Brandon Wally, John Packer, very, very involved with this project. You got some new Omaha frames. You got some new New Albany frames coming. Every sunglass frame named after Mississippi Town. You can get the blue light sunglasses. If you need readers, you can get them too. If you just need sunglasses, you can get those. You need prescription sunglasses, they can get that handled for you too. Visit them at johnnypacker.com today. If you don't see the frames you want, as available. If they show sold out, just shoot them an email. Hit the contact us link and say, hey, I really want these. They'll get them for you. You guys are doing a great job buying sunglasses. Again, I encourage you, go buy today, johnnypacker.com. And listen, there is a difference between price and cost. That's one thing that maturity teaches us, right? You know, it's like one of the things that drives me crazy is some people in my house that go by, that, hey, I got six iPhone chargers for 10 bucks, and they last about two weeks. You know, well, how much you pay for it? $10. You know, what, you, know you got six you know, bum chargers for 10 bucks. You could have paid, you know, 30 and got a great one. It'll last you for a couple of years or more. Same thing with sunglasses. Cheap sunglasses are the bane of existence, man. I mean, they just are. You're just asking for trouble. Make an investment in yourself. Protect your eyes. Get some great sunglasses today at johnnypacker.com. I was going to do a country music top 10 list today. I'm going to do that on Friday. And the reason why is that a guy hit me up 
And I basically, I had promised him a while back to do one of these great rock bands. One of my favorite bands, and I'm kind of ashamed I hadn't got to it. And I had looked at the, he messaged me, and he goes, hey, I guess you decided not to do this. And he's about the fifth person that's hit me up on this. And, and it's on the list, but it's been on the list a long time. And so we're going to pull it off the list today. One of my favorite bands, and I'll be honest with you, when I first heard this band, I didn't really like them because I didn't like uh, the operatic singing style, that kind of stuff. You know, I was, you know, I was really more into Ozzy and that sort of stuff, and those guys didn't have a lot of range. Great singers, but, you know, they just didn't hit those bigger notes. But um, this is a band that uh, really grew on me, and uh, I went back in hindsight after I bought my first album and got to know the rest of the catalog, and I was blown away. It's kind of like, you know, MTV, I mean, like all kids in Mississippi, how did you learn learn about these great bands out in Hollywood? What's MTV? And MTV kind of misrepresented this band, I think, initially. And then they really found their groove, you know, around album three. And I think they became superstars with album four. And then uh, mega superstars with album five. And uh, if you hadn't figured it out, it's uh, one of the greatest prog rock bands, I guess, of our, of our time in many respects with some great concept albums. And I'm talking about Scott Rockenfield, Eddie Jackson, Michael Wilton, Chris DeGarmo, and Jeff Tate. I'm talking about Queensryche. One of the best shows I've been to in my life is in Jackson, Mississippi. And I have been to shows all over this wonderful country. I have been to festivals. I have been to theaters. I've been to amphitheaters. Man, I've done it all. Been to clubs, whatever. I don't know that anything will compare to the show that I saw in the Coliseum with suicidal tendencies in Queensryche. And many of you were there. We shared an awesome moment together. You know, they had those screens up there, and it was incredible, all the stuff they did. And I was completely sober. It wasn't anything that I imagined. It was a phenomenal show. It was the best show I have ever attended. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's close. Probably the only thing that comes close is when I saw Soundgarden for the first time with uh, Rev Horton Heat and UMI there in UN O'Keefer Arena back in 96, uh, I guess. But... Um, Listen, Queen Drag is an incredible band. And uh, so MTV, in the beginning, you know, they, you know, they didn't play a lot of metal stuff until the Headbangers Ball started. That kind of happened a little bit later. And so, like, some of the earlier songs they played were, you know, some songs that were just kind of okay. I don't know why the record label picked those songs, but, you know, like I Only Dream and Infrared and some of the things like that. I mean, it just, you know, it, it didn't work for me. But when the album Rage for Order came out, they began to play that, and I saw them, pl- I saw them open for Rat. And I was like, man, these guys are phenomenal. Why do I not know more about them? You know, and I think, well, it's these crappy MTV videos. And so I went out and bought the Rage for Order album, and it was absolutely incredible. In many respects, I won't say it changed my life, but it changed you know, kind of my, my direction of my musical listening for a while. So, you know, I could, have, I could have put together a top 10 list of deep cuts because... Listen, I think a Queensryche album is one of those albums, it's best to listen to it in its entirety. I really do. It's not one of those, you know, many of you guys today, it's like a single-serving friendship. You know, it's like, oh, there's this great song, and you don't take the journey that an album brings you on. And that's what I think Queensryche does. I think especially when you get deeper into the catalog, it's better to just hit play on track one and let the thing roll. You'll be glad you did. But I very easily could have put together some of my favorite deep tracks, and it had been an incredible list. But I had to work in some of the hits. 
So we'll start with the the one that started it all for them uh, off the self-titled album. It's Queen of the Reich. And this, I think this is when Jeff was still kind of finding his voice a little bit. It was, he oversang some of this, but Queen of the Reich is just one of those songs too. I mean, you, you hear it and it's kind of unmistakable, you know, who you're hearing. It, and obviously that's where Queen's Reich came from the song Queen of the Reich. Number nine, actually off the Empire album, there was a huge hit uh, for Queen's Reich and it's just another rainy night without you. And I, I really think on that album, that's when Jeff, jumped from being a really good rock singer to being one of those guys that was kind of legendary. And here's the thing about Jeff Tate, too, is Jeff has like a five-octave voice, and not only is he just a rock guy uh, in many people's eyes, he was like the head of like the Seattle Opera Council for years. So he he sang kind of off stage and away from uh, rock music and was respected kind of nationally for his talent. You know, he wasn't just a guy up there just kind of grunting his way through a song. This guy can really, really sing. Uh, number eight, I did sneak this deep track on here because I absolutely love what Michael Wilton and Krista Garmo do. The opening riff to this, at one point, I think it was like the opening riff on Headbangers Ball, but it's the song Speak. And I love that Operation Mindcrime album. I, you know, my top 10 songs could have just been the album, I mean, of Operation Mindcrime. It is, I still listen to this album regularly when I'm traveling. Sometimes I'll be in a mood and I'll just put it on because there is a story within the album. And, and there's like, you know, in between the songs, you kind of hear some dialogue and stuff and there's some special effects. And there, it's, a, it's a very interesting story the whole way through. It's almost like theater in many respects. But uh, Speak is on that album. And it's, with one, it's one of those tracks, man. I can listen to it by, by itself. But I want to really hear it in the context of the concept album, Operation Mindcrime. Next time you take a road trip and you're kind of bored with your own playlist, just put on Operation Mindcrime. Trust me on this. Number seven, the lead track off of the Rage for Order album, which is the album that that preceded Operation Mindcrime. It's the best single on that album, without a doubt. It's Walk in the Shadows. And, And again, I think Jeff's vocal delivery on this is phenomenal. I think Eddie Jackson's bass line on this one, too, is really kind of the signature of this song. You know, as great as the dual guitar playing is, and Scott Rockenfield's so incredible, I really think that driving bass line is what kind of pulled me in. I I think it's infectious. I really do. Number six, another one that was a huge hit. A huge hit. If you want to have an idea, kids, of what we witnessed that night in in the Mississippi Coliseum, is go watch this video for Jet City Woman. That's number six. You know, they have these huge movie screens up there, and so it's basically a live performance video of kind of what we saw in the concert. But the concert obviously was so much better. I mean, like when Jeff Tate's running around the stage and he jumps in the screen, you hear the glass crash, and you look up, next thing you know, he's in the video. It's phenomenal. If you can find that video Mindcrime thing on YouTube, maybe watch it too. But uh, Jet City Woman, a great track. And I think Jeff, again, I think... As great as he was on Operation Mindcrime, I think vocally his best work of his career was on the album Empire, without a doubt. Number five, and this is one of the songs that I think early in their career that made people realize, okay, these guys are more than just a flash in a pan. These guys are not just a bunch of guys with long hair and some fluffy clothes with a loud singer. The lyrics on this are just phenomenal, but it's a song called Take Hold of Flame. Take Hold of the Flame. This is the one that I, I really think, in hindsight, you know, after I kind of got on the bus with the Rage for Order album, you go back and you hear that, and it's, uh, 
it's legit, man, and it still holds up today. You could put it on today, and you think, okay, this this doesn't sound like the '80s, and it, and it really doesn't. I mean, you've got the big vocal chorus, obviously, and you got guitar solos, which we need more of that in life anyway. But take hold the flame is the defining song in the Queen's catalog. Number four, great song off of the Operation Mindcrime album, and uh, a great video too. And uh, I don't believe in love. That's the name of the track. That's your number four track. I don't believe in love. It's never worth the pain you feel. Uh, kind of a uh, cynical way to look at love. I, I still believe in love, to be honest with you guys. But um, but when I sing this song, sometimes I grip my teeth a little bit. I can feel some of that, you know. Uh, number three for me, and I love the lyrics on this. And we talk about American history. and We talk about government expenditures and things like that and wasteful spending. And this is where I think, you know, Queen's Rock in many respects made some of us a little more socially conscious. I mean, because there was so much music in the 80s, as you guys know, that was just kind of mindless fun. And we needed that. You know, really, we really did. But I think Queen's Rock was a smarter band. And I think this is an important song. It talks a lot about law enforcement spending and how we spend so much on space exploration and things like that. But it's so much more than that. And it's the song Empire. It is the title track on that album. I love everything they've done with it. I love the voiceover effects on it. I think Jeff is phenomenal, and I love and Michael Michael Walton. I think I think this is one of his shiny moments. Number two, and this is a song that was a massive hit for them. It kind of crossed over. I think, to be honest with you, I think it's their only top forty hit, like as far as Billboard's top forty. Kind of crossed over, and it wasn't just played on rock stations; it was played everywhere. Uh, but it's a song about explaining to a young child what a dream is and it's a song silent lucidity and it's basically a lullaby in many respects and it builds and there's all this orchestral stuff at late it is a beautiful song it's one of the most beautiful songs of my lifetime and uh again the concept of it is you know how do you explain to a child what a dream is they have a bad dream and they wake up and it's like and you have to explain to them oh it's just a dream and that's what the song is about and it's kind of telling them you know that in time that you're going to find that your dreams are beautiful and wonderful and will take you places. And I get chills even talking about that. I just think the concept behind that as a writer, it blows my mind that somebody would think that way, that their mind is kind of, you know, wired in a way that they can kind of, you know, write about things so next dimensional. It's just, it's crazy to me. But number one for me, it is the final track on Operation Mindcrime. And uh, I absolutely love, I think the guitar on this, it, it is unlike anything else. Chris DeGarmo and Michael Wilton are just a tandem, and they are a force to be reckoned with, but it's Eyes of a Stranger. And that's the end, that's, a, that's kind of the crescendo of the Operation Mindcrime album. I absolutely love it. I still listen to this song regularly, even if I don't listen to the whole thing. Just sometimes I hear it in my head, and i got to put it on. There's some songs like that. And listen, there were so many other ones I, I could have gone with, you know, spreading the disease, uh, revolution calling. I mean, the lyrics on that are just phenomenal. And that's one of my favorite things, revolution calling. I quote this every so, every so often. I used to trust the media to tell us the truth. But now I see the payoffs everywhere I look. Who do you trust when everyone's a crook? Man, in many respects, that's been my life, man. I mean, I, I, I have lived that stuff. And so I think it's incredible to think about how ahead of the, ahead of the game this Operation Mindcrime album was. And remember, and you have to look at this in its context, too. You know, this is all coming out when you've got Poison singing Nothing But A Good Time off the Open Up and Say I album, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we're kind of getting towards, uh, you know, the kind of the end of the 80s. 
And uh, people were kind of getting tired because it was all this cookie-cutter stuff, and there were so many bands that looked alike and sounded alike. And so in the middle of all of that, we have this masterpiece that is dropped in our laps of Operation Mindcrime. And listen, some people didn't get it. They didn't, and, I, and I'm okay with that too. I love it. I think you'll love it too. And again, Queens Rock is just one of those bands. I think if, if you are looking for something fresh, and maybe you're like, you know, I never really gave those guys a try, you owe it to yourself. You absolutely owe it to yourself. But I would start with Mind Crime or Empire and then kind of work backwards because it took them kind of a little while to kind of define their own sound. And so, again, happy to do the list. And so I, I feel refreshed after doing this list because I, I feel like that I have kind of given a gift to some of you. But there you go. Uh, that's top ten list. Next segment of the show brought to you by Close with Blair. That's closewithblair.com. Listen, Blair's a bulldog. You know my, my policy on that. I want to do business with bulldogs whenever possible. You know, Blair is just one of those guys, too, that I can't run him off. He's been my friend for a long time. He's a senior loan officer with the Fairway Mortgage Group and, guys, just recently rewarded for being the top 1% nationally with Fairway Mortgage. So he's not just a pretty face. He is a mortgage professional. And Fairway Mortgage is not one of these fly-by-night subprime lenders. These guys are ranked in the top five among all national mortgage lenders. So you're doing business with a credible individual and a credible company. Fairway offers all types of mortgage products for purchases, transactions, refis, conventional FHA, USDA, VA lending, everything you want. Pick up the phone and call today. Dave can work with you on these fixer-uppers, too, if you're thinking, you know what I'd like to buy this thing, but I don't have the capital I wonder if I can arrange a deal and you get some of the equity on this thing. Blair will find a way to make it happen for you. He'll do everything in his power to meet all your needs. He is a guy that's licensed in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, and Tennessee. He's not just a local guy. So if you're a Mississippi resident, perhaps, and you're looking to maybe buy a hunting camp or another state, see Blair about that. Been in the mortgage business 21 years, guys. A bulldog through and through, season ticket holder, has a place here in Starkville. Check it out again today. It's closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. Phone number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. So we went over the recruiting class here as we kind of previewed the draft. And the four guys that we were worried about, three of the four were drafted in a position that we think we're going to lose. Maddox Bruns went to the Dodgers late in the first round. He's going to go. And I've read some people say, well, you know, maybe, you know, JT Ginn didn't go. It's a completely different circumstance, completely. And so there's also, you know, there's not – and nowadays because the draft is so unforgiving, I'm like if you don't sign your first-round pick, you, you lose a pick. And so they're not, they're not going to throw a first-round pick at a guy that's not going to sign. So before they take you, they're going to call you and talk to you on the phone and kind of get some assurances of when, you know, what you're willing to take – it's a signing bonus before they, they turn the card in. So Maddox Bruns, drafted in the first round by Dodgers, he's going to go. There's no question about it. He is absolutely going to go. So let's, let's get a little deeper here. James Wood was a guy that had a first-round grade on him. You know, a lot of people thought that he might go early. There was a little bit worry about the swing and miss. But, you know, the, he's getting, you know, projected to go, you know, based on potential. And that's what's crazy when you begin to look at all this stuff, too. I mean, this is a guy that uh, you know, has incredible power. You just got to clean up the, the bat path a little bit with him. You know, there is, again, some swing and miss with him. 
you know, taken by the Padres, uh, you know, there in the second round. And he will likely get first-round money, 60-second pick in the second round. Um, you know, just an absolute stud, man. I mean, you know, and l- listen, would he have helped us this year? You know, probably not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like when I, when I begin to work through this stuff, you know, obviously you want to look long-term, but, you know, we're going to be able to sign some guys next year too. You know, it's not like we just have this window where we just get out of these guys and we only got four years to play with them. But, yeah, I, don't, I think James Wood long-term would have been a great player at Mississippi State. I don't know if he makes us better as a club in 2022, though. And, and people say, well, he's a first-rounder, Steve. Yeah, that didn't mean that he got, he's a refined skill set first-rounder. He's a high school guy that's still figuring it out. He, he played at IMG, and he hit about 258 this year. You know, a lot of guys coming out of high school to get drafted, you're hitting 400 or better. This is a guy to hit 258. And so, again, it's about kind of getting him cleaned up a little bit. But when you're 6'6", 240, there's a lot to work with. It's an absolutely, you know, phenomenal, you know, prospect here. And, again, you'd like to get all the guys to campus. But, you know, we went through that at one time, too. Well, we used to get all our guys to campus, and the reason that we did is because they weren't – MLB wasn't interested in them, not the other way around. You know, now you take a chance on some of these guys and you oversign a little bit and you get one or two of these guys to come to school, you can feel really good about life. Now, Jordan McCants uh, was drafted, I guess, in the third round. Let me, let me double-check that and make sure that I'm correct about that. I, I'm almost positive, but I am also by the Marlins. Um, but it's no surprise that he – you know, they kind of let it be known that, uh, you know, yeah, number 88 pick there in the third round. So – it was kind of known for two months now that Jordan really wanted to go pro. And that's not a slide on Mississippi State. He just was ready to go. And there are a lot of guys, too, that say, you know what, I want to get in minors and you know start making some money as soon as I can and, and get on to the show if I can make it. And I think Jordan McCants is a guy that's got a chance to make the show. Very, very talented guy. And, yeah, he's a little bit better than his brother. But, you know, TJ's probably in the minors right now if you have a regular draft last year. There's only a five-round draft last year. It's only 20 this year. You know, the talk is it may go to 40 next year. They wanted to kind of streamline the minor leagues a little bit, and I believe they've done that. But, you know, there's no surprise that McCants is going, and people say, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to lose this guy. You know, you can't lose what you didn't have. You know, we signed a handful of middle infielders. You know, so it's not like you know, we're just going to be out there playing a walk-on. You know, we're going to have you know, a big-time guy out there playing. We're, we're Mississippi State. Don't ever forget that. And some of these guys, too, you know, they sign with a college knowing full well they're going to go pro. And they use that national letter of intent basically as a negotiating tool when they when they talk at school, they talk to, to, to teams. Hey, well, you know, guys, I'll just go to Mississippi State. That happens. You know, you, you think Billy Hamilton really expected to come to school at Mississippi State out of Taylorsville? Absolutely not. That guy was going pro all the way, and he needed to go pro. But you sign with a school, and all of a sudden that gives you somewhere to go. And so there's a pretty good plan B there. Oh, I'll just go play football at Mississippi State and play baseball on scholarship. And so schools then kind of have to come off a little more signing bonus money to get you to come. So there is some negotiation ploys and some games that are being played on the kids' end, too, because all these kids have advisors. They all do. There's very few of these guys that get caught flat-footed. I mean, anybody that's got a realistic chance to be drafted has either already got an agent or an advisor to kind of help them with all this stuff. And Jordan McCants was going to go pro. 
And again, there's nothing to feel bad about. There's nothing to be critical of him about. He had to make the best decision for himself. And, you know, it's a young man. All of a sudden, you know, you get drafted in the third round and, you know, half a million dollars or more, you know, as a signing bonus, why would, why would you not take that? And say, well, you know, Steve, a chance to go win an Apple championship. You know, that doesn't mean the same thing to a lot of these kids it does to us. You know, our careers are over. We don't get to go play anymore. And so it's kind of important to understand, you know, we see life through the lens of adulthood. You know, sometimes we forget what it's like to be 18, 19 years old trying to find your way in the world. Now all of a sudden I can go play the game I love and get paid for it. I get to go buy a brand new car. Are you kidding me? Let's go. I mean, those are the things that I I look at, you know, and maybe it's because I've got, you know, college age girls, you know, in my family. And I had a college baseball player in my family, too. I understand, you know, what everybody kind of deals with in many respects. And obviously, we didn't have the decisions to make that they've had. Did have some decisions to make, obviously, about where to go to school and, you know, scholarships and things of that nature. You know, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, you know, my kids are probably not in the same situation a lot of kids are. You know, there are a lot of kids out there that they simply cannot afford to go play college baseball. And you say, well, Steve, that's impossible. No, no it's not. There are a lot of people out there, because it is a partial scholarship sport, they got to go pro because they can't afford to come to college. You can say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Well, I mean, you're being willfully ignorant. You give a guy a 33% scholarship and, you let's say, it costs twenty grand to go to school. Where's that money going to come from? Not everybody qualifies for Pell Grants. You know, you, well, you, Steve, you get guaranteed student loans. Yeah, and so then, then what happens when you know, they get out of here and now they got to pay all this debt back? And so you begin to look at all that stuff. You know, Rather than setting a guy up for life with a good signing bonus, you're going to set him up for basically to be a consumer. And so he gets his college degree and gets on out of here, and then he's got $100,000 in student loan debt. So he's not getting a good start at life. He's graduating six figures in a hole. And so there are a lot of people out there that say, you know what, that's just not for me. That's just not best for our kid. Yeah, we'll go ahead and take the hundred grand and go. Yeah, we'll take the seventy-five thousand dollars and go. That's just how life works. So, again, four guys, three of them gone. The one that's going to be here, left-handed pitcher Andrew Walling. And to be honest with you, of the four guys, that's the one guy that I think really makes you better as a club in twenty-two. That's a guy that can be an immediate contributor. And so all the talk was is that all the, the big league teams saw him as a relief guy. Well, he wants to be a starter. And so he was advised, you know what, if you want to go do that, go to Mississippi State and play for a year and show everybody you can do it. Is he a back-end guy? Is he a starter? I don't know. This is a guy that throws 97-98 from a left-handed side, which is ridiculous. You know, control's kind of been a bit of an issue. And, and what I'm told, too, is he has a lot of velo, doesn't have a lot of spin rate. Now, that's something that can be fixed. You know, there's some things you can do mechanically to increase your spin rate. It's kind of how life works nowadays. They put you on the camera, have you throw into a bullpen, and say, hey, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's let that thing come off the tip of this finger. Or let's change the grip this way. Let's do it this way. Let's, let's change the release point. You know, so they tinker with your mechanics to give you a better spin rate. And so if he already has the velo, then you can kind of get an increase in the, in the spin rate, and all of a sudden you really got something. Scott Fox all knows what he's doing. 
you know, contrary to popular belief, guy just lead, helped lead us to a NAFL championship and set an NCAA scoring record. I mean, pardon me, strikeout record in what 18, 19 less games than the previous record. It's ridiculous. Set a new record in NCAA for K per nine innings, and it's not close. And so when I think about you know what could Foxhall do, you know what Andrew Walling, a guy that's big and long and lean and already throws in the high nineties from the left side, I think Foxhall's probably chomping at the bit, thinking you know what man, this is a guy that could answer some problems for us. This is a guy that could address some real needs for us next year. Is he a back end guy? Don't know. Is he a starter? I don't know. I know that's what he wants to do. And he'll have fall baseball to prove that he can do it. Now, a lot of people out there are kind of penciling him in as a weekend starter in the SEC next year. I, I'm not ready to go that far yet. And say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Well, you know, here's the deal. It's a lot different pitching in JUCO than it is in the Southeastern Conference. You got the best pitchers uh, in, in the game getting evaluated week after week after week by the best coaches in the game. They're going to find out what you do well and what you don't. They're going to pick your game apart. And so there's a big jump, and yeah, he's a power five bounce back because he was at Oregon State, and so he kind of knows a little bit about what it takes to compete at this level. And you know, you, you go back and you look at guys like Nate Lowe and you know Jack Kruger. We've had some success with those guys, and a lot of times too, they understand what they what they're missing. You know, it's like you you leave the power five and you go to JUCO, and you're like, oh, this isn't free. You know, no, no, it's not. Oh, I only get one workout shirt. Yeah, okay. Now, all of a sudden, I get a chance to go back and live the three-stripe life of Adidas at Mississippi State. It's a new level of appreciation. So, Andrew Walling, a guy we really, you know, we had heard a couple months ago that of the four, he was probably the most likely to come to school. And then a lot of that talk disappeared about a month ago. A lot of people said, you know what, yeah, it's, you know, he's got 20 scouts every game out there checking him out. It only takes one, right? It only takes one. I had to kind of jump on board and get him. But there you go. That's your draft class. Uh, so this next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. And uh, a lot of people getting their Campus Bookmart stuff in. And uh, listen, Stan Ray and those guys are working basically around the clock now. Uh, Kathy Brown tells me that she's never seen anything like it. You guys have been phenomenal. Listen, there's been a lot of pent-up demand for national championship gear. We've been waiting our whole lives to get our hands on it, right? So it's been great. They've got youth NAFL championship shirts available now. You can find those at campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Go, and if you're in town, go by and see the lovely talented Susie. No, no promo code required. You just go by there and check her out. You'll be glad you did. Get great service with a smile. And they've got a lot to choose from. And there's new stuff arriving daily. It's like I was in there, uh, I guess, when I got back from Omaha. And then I go back a couple days ago, and it's like a lot of the stuff that was there the first time is gone, and there's new stuff there now. And so I'm thinking maybe I need to go back and buy some more gear. I don't think you can ever have enough NAFL championship gear. I I almost wish I had a NAFL championship outfit for every day of the week. I would wear it so obnoxiously. Like, I go to Jackson, you know, like you go to the mall or whatever. I would walk around with that stuff on, decked head to toe. Absolutely. And you should, too. Be proud of it. We've waited for it a long time. So let's talk about who didn't get drafted, right? There was a lot of concern about that. You know, we are like, oh, our team's going to get gutted. 
All right, so Cam James didn't get drafted. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't get calls because he did. He did get some calls from a team, but it's one of those things, too, where it's like, okay, I really want to go play at Mississippi State again and defend our championship, but I'm not going to do something stupid, right? So Cam had a number in mind. It's okay, this is the number that I would take to forgo the rest of my college eligibility. People forget he's a freshman. He's got three years of eligibility left, so he can go through the same process next year, and if necessary, the next year. I think he's got a chance to really move up in the draft next year. But he did get some calls this year uh, on day two, and people were just kind of talking with him and said, hey, this is what we want to do. And he goes, you know, guys, I just, you know, I want to go back to Mississippi State. So Cam is back. And I'm excited about it. You should be too. Cameron James had a great year for us. Did he boot the ball around a little bit earlier in the year? Yeah, he did. But you know what? Look how great he was down the stretch. The guy's growing up before our eyes. He took Jack Leiter deep in the first inning in Omaha. How cool is that? And so Cam is going to be one of the dudes next year. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And you begin to kind of run this thing down, and you know, Luke Hancock, similar situation. You know, Luke had a number in mind, got some calls. He said, no, I think I'm I'm good. I'd love to go play pro ball, but I ain't going for peanuts. It's not when I still got a couple years of eligibility left, right? So Luke's back. And so you begin to look around this infield here. So you get Cam James back at third, who was really, really good down the stretch. Won the NCAA regional most outstanding player for the Starkville Regional. Was an absolute wall at Omaha. Even when he played up on the cut, man, he was so quick twitch, you just couldn't get it by him. Made a couple big plays to kind of keep the no-hitter intact in the championship game. So I got Cam back at third. I got Lane Forsythe back at short, and he is a phenomenal defender, guys. I mean, it's – yeah, I, I, I see people sometimes that make comments about Lane's defense, and I begin to ask myself, do you not understand the range this kid has and how quick he is? you know, from catch to release. I mean, go back and look at that slow roller he filled to keep the no-hitter intact and how quick that throw was across there. This is a quick twitch guy that is going to be one of the best defenders in the country in the next couple of years. You can say, well, Steve, you're just being a homer. No, I'm not. You talk to Major League Baseball, people will tell you the same thing. He's got to pick it up on the offensive end, but he will. And a lot of that's pitch recognition, right? You know, when you're in high school – and you got a right-hander up there, and they throw that fastball away, it doesn't have enough bite on it to get you. You know, it just keeps kind of fading away and ends up in the other batter's box. Well, guys nowadays kind of recognize that you're willing to give up on that pitch, so they'll backdoor that two-seamer on you. But you know what? They'll get him on that this year. They won't get him on that next year because Gautreaux will break him down. Say, look, here's your strikeouts. Here's how they attacked you. Let's devise a plan to make sure it doesn't happen again. Go to get him going. You know, and people forget, too, Lane Forsyth made the all-Omaha all, all Omaha team, pardon me, in the College World Series. Had a couple of really big hits for us in game two. And so his, his best baseball is ahead of him. All right, we've got to figure out what we're going to do at second base. Do we work the transfer portal? Maybe. Is it Davis Mesh? Maybe. Does Jeffrey Entz factor in next year at second? I don't know. But, you know, we're going to have options there. Do we need a veteran guy? I don't know. 
you know, the rest of the infield is going to have some experience under the belt because you got Luke Hancock back at first and, of course, Logan Tanner behind the plate. So you're going to return everybody but DeBrule in the infield. And, you know, Kellum Clark gives you some options too. Do you make Kellum Clark a first baseman? Is that where he projects on the next level? Do you make him an outfielder? Guys, he had never played outfield until we put him out there. He had a couple weeks of practice. We said, hey, we need your stick in lineup. you got to go play. And he did the best he could. You began to think about this outfield. Of course, you've got some guys coming in that are going to compete. But, you know, you got you know, Braylon Skinner and Brad Cumbus, the guys that have started a little bit. You know, Skinner could stay in left. Cumbus could go in right. And you got Jess Davis coming in from UAB. You know, right, right now, I'm just thinking, you know what, if we can get Skinner to hit just a little bit more, and we can kind of get some things figured out with Jess Davis and get his batting average up a little bit. And this is a guy, too, it's a speed merchant. It's a guy that can defend gap to gap and steal bases for you. And you start thinking about the possibility of the three of those great athletes out there running around in the outfield. You begin to ask yourself, is anything other than line drive going to get in? Because we can run down things in the gap. And that's the thing, too. I mean, you look how great Bradfield is, Enrique Bradfield is for Vanderbilt. You know, Jess Davis has similar range. He does. And so when you begin to kind of factor that in and you think, you know what, we actually might be better defensively because, listen, T.A. nor Rowdy are just are really natural outfielders. I think Rowdy, you know, Rowdy came to state as a second baseman and he basically played and left because of a team need. He was a freshman and he had a great freshman year. But, you know, those guys are not necessarily natural outfielders. I mean, you're going to bring some guys in that are a little more fluid, you know, out there, you know, track and fly balls and so you know I think in many respects defensively we could be a better team next year now we've got to find somebody to play you know second base because Scotty Abril was an absolute magician over there at times and we're going to miss him probably a lot more than people realize but you know you're going to return you know a big part of your lineup right I mean you're going to return six of your nine so you had a national championship team and in six of the nine hitters that went up there and beat Vanderbilt to death are coming back let that sink in for a second. It's like, you know, we think, man, how are we going to replace T.A. and Rowdy? It's going to be tough. We have to do it by committee. But you know what? At least that's what we're only things we're having to replace. You can say, well, Steve, what about our pitching? Well, you know what? I'm actually least less concerned about our pitching, you know, than I am, you know, having a good table set or top of the order. Because, listen, we're gonna, listen, between Logan Tanner and Kellum Clark and Hancock and Cam James, that's probably 60 home runs right there. 60. And you never know who else is going to develop and come along and do a good job for you, too. I mean, does, does Cumbus become a double-digit home run guy if he plays every day? Probably. Probably a guy that get drafted next year. And so you start running the numbers here, and you start realizing, you know, offensive, we've got a chance to be really good. And then what, what do you do on, on the weekend rotation? Well, you know what? If Walling can do it, and Cade Smith can do it, and Lennon Sims can do it, and you say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Lennon Sims is a closer. Now, I don't know if I can remind you guys of this. Landon Sims was not our closer at the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. Landon Sims a middle reliever beginning of the year. Go look at the box scores yourself. You saw what he did against Texas, right? Came as a middle reliever, had four perfect innings, right? Remember that? He did the same thing against Tulane, guys. You know, it took us a while to kind of establish that role, you know, Lennon Sims is a guy that was a starter in high school. It's not like we're asking him to do something that's foreign to him. And I think he's going to end up on a weekend. And I think that needs to happen. I think when you've got a guy that talented, you need to get him as many innings as you can. 
And you know what? Maybe Preston Johnson's your closer. Maybe Brandon Smith's your closer. You know, Brandon Smith's going to make a jump next year now that he's completely healthy. Just go ahead and mark my words on that. And so maybe you do it by committee. And listen, I love hearing Whitesnake, too, at Dirty Noble Field. 16-year-old Steve would be awfully impressed. But I think you got to get Landon Sims as a guy. Can Landon go out there and get you six or seven innings to start on Friday night? Probably so. Now, all of a sudden, you start thinking, you know, basically you're replacing Will Bednar with a guy of comparable ability. Cade Smith is a dog. You know, I mean, you might as well get ready for that. Cade Smith, and I, I, have, I have not talked to one person that has had anything negative to say about Cade Smith. Everybody you talk to is connected up there in DeSoto County, they'll tell you. Cade Smith is a certified dog. He is a competitor. He is a guy that's going to pound the strike zone. He is a guy that takes it personal when he gets hit. This is a guy that puts a lot of pressure on himself to go execute pitches. And then he does it. You know, a lot of guys out there that want it really bad, Kate Smith wants it bad and then does it. Then you start thinking, okay, well, now, wait a minute, Steve. Houston Harding didn't get drafted either. You're exactly right. And the word I've got is he's leaning towards coming back. Well, what's he going to go do? Go get a job? Yeah, it's always a possibility. But here's the deal. There may be a 40-round draft next year. And if there is, a guy like Houston Harding will get drafted. Now, his signing bonus will be next to nothing. And Houston Harding is one of those guys, too, that, you know, I don't know if he can add a pitch or not in the offseason. You know, and his stuff is probably good enough to get through the order one, one and a half, maybe two times on a good day. And people say, well, you know, Stevie only goes about four five innings. You know, with our bullpen, that's really all we need. He's never going to be, you know, a seven-inning guy. You know, some days, you know, he'll find the groove or whatever and just kind of find the right team where he kind of is reading them well and is able to match up well. But if he can go out there and give us five innings on Sundays, I think we're going to feel pretty good about life. And so now you start thinking, you know, down the stretch, we had one starting pitcher we could really count on. That was Webednar. And so now we're going to roll Kate Smith in the Christian McLeod spot. Houston Harding will take his spot. Landon Sims takes Will Bednar's spot. You know, I, I can kind of talk myself into some big things right there. You're going to return a veteran ro- roster that knows how to play defense, and you're going to have a great pitching staff. Not to mention, we got a bunch of arms coming in too. You know, we're not just having to piece this thing together based on who's left over. You know, we got 18 new Bulldogs going to show up on campus too. And, and listen, we'll, we'll cut the roster down then the fall. But you're going to have a lot of newcomers coming here. As much as you love these guys, you're going to love the new guys too. And this recruiting class is a whole lot more than Maddox, Bronze, you know, James Wood, and uh, Jordan McCants. I mean, yeah, those guys are, you know, are big-time players. Don't get me wrong. That's why they got drafted so early. And my point being is that we didn't just draft those guys and just kind of hope for the best. You know, we're Mississippi State. Guys want to come play for us. They want to come play at Dirty Noble Field. They want to come play for a national championship. So we got some dudes coming. We're going to be able to play some baseball. I mean, think about this. How many guys that helped us win a national championship did you not even really have a good working knowledge of this year kind of going in? You didn't really know Houston Harding. I mean, he pitched a little bit for us. I think he beat Texas Tech last year, one of our last games of the year. You know, but he was a guy we were just really kind of getting to know. Most people had no idea who Lane Forsyth was. 
ends up being, you know, a guy on the all Omaha team for sure. You know, Scotty DeBrule was a guy we had, had, had high expectations for, and he surpassed every one of them. You know, people didn't know who Braylon Skinner was, right? And, and many people just thought Brad Cumber should stick with football. You know, it's a different deal, man. It just is. And so there are going to be other guys that emerge. You remember all these people that told us there's no way they're going to be able to replace Justin Foscue and Jordan Westberg and get better. And we did. We didn't hit as many home runs between uh, Forsyth and DeBrule. They had a combined one. You know, obviously Westy and uh, and Foss were guys that, you know, could turn a game around for you pretty quickly. But, you know, a lot of people said we're going to be weak in the middle, and we absolutely weren't. It took us some time to settle the defensive order. You know, I mean, it did. You know, we had to slide Cam over to third, which which cost us Landon Jordan. You know, but Landon Jordan is not the defender to Cam is. And listen, Landon didn't do anything to lose the job, but, you know, the job was given to a better player. And I hate that things worked out the way they did. But, you know, that, that's one of the first guys I thought about, you know, once I got back to the hotel after the NAFL championship party, is, man, I bet Landon Jordan is kicking himself right now. I mean, I hate it for the guy. I do. He's a great young man. But, you know, I understand it, too. I mean, it's like you only get a short time of life to play baseball, and, you know, he's headed down to South Alabama now, and I wish him the best down there. I really do. It's a guy that grew up in a Mississippi State family. I got nothing bad to say about Landon Jordan, but you know what? Nobody's bigger than the M over S. Nobody. But we got some dudes coming, and we're going to be a good team. We're going to be a team back in contention for Omaha again next year. We've been three years in a row, and that's the thing, too. We, we talked about T.A. and Rowdy. You know, never ended their career anywhere but Omaha. You know, think about the rest of your roster. They hadn't either. And they just think this Omaha thing is what we do. It's just an extension of the season. You go every year. And maybe we start going with greater regularity. It won't last forever. But, you know, I think this team is certainly capable of getting back to Omaha. And that's the thing, too. You want to be able to host a regional. You want to be in a position to be a top eight national seed so you get a chance to host a super. And then based on the matchups, you, you figure it out from there. But let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's enjoy this NAFL championship for a long, long time. We don't have to be in any hurry. It's crazy to think about, though, man. In about six weeks, in about six weeks, the Diamond Dogs are going to be back on campus getting ready for fall baseball and i'm sure we'll start it later you know but you know they're gonna be back in the camps they're gonna be done with the cape they're gonna be back in you know in in the hidden lab in the mitch merlin hidden tunnel down there kind of getting loose and getting ready to go that's the thing about having the elongated baseball season man it's just not a lot of downtime and i really wish some of these guys would shut it down for the summer you know and listen, our medical people know better than any of us do, but, you know, some of these guys probably need just a mental break. And you get through the draft, too, and I think it motivates the guys on the team. Final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. You guys, I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I'd live. I like living out here in the sticks. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's possums and varmints and raccoons, and I saw a huge doe today in my driveway as I was driving out to go to the store. And uh, so I would miss that kind of stuff. But I'll be honest with you, you know, I kind of like being close to campus. You know, I would love to be closer to campus. You know, it's like a 15-minute drive for me. But I'd love to be able to be close to campus, and that's exactly what you get at Portico. Just over a mile away from campus, you can run there if you want. If you're a running person, you can go run around campus. 
do your five-mile run, and most of it's on campus. You can run a 5K right there through the junction. It's wonderful. Portico, a great residential development brought to you by some great folks that are absolutely committed to Starkville. Brooks Bryan, one of the developers in that group, big fan of Brooks, man. Been a, been a fan of Brooks Bryan for a long time. And uh, even before I knew him as a person, you know, just you know, respected as the way he played the game of baseball. And now he's very involved with this group and uh, really doing a great job to kind of make Starkville a better place. And there's so many people that want to move here and say, you know what, Steve, I'd love to be a neighbor and be able to go to the ball games regularly. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's nothing, there's nothing like that. If you are obsessed with Mississippi State, you should live in Starkville. If business affords that, if you're a person that works from home anyway and you can live wherever you want, why aren't you here? It doesn't make any sense to me. That way you can go to Duty Noble Field all the time. You can go watch the, the, the men and the women play whenever you want. There's so much great about Starkville, but Mississippi State's a better part of it. And you're going to be right there in the middle of all of that by living here. And so Portico, again, is uh, right there off of – of 12 you take that turn off 82 on a 12 like going towards campus the very first right will take you to portico that's how close it is two bedroom two bath four bedroom four bath that great walking trail uh, phase one is nearly gone phase two is under development now so if you're looking to move soon you need to go ahead and get on the bricks and give brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075 601-416-8075 8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay. Uh, football recruiting, it's uh, it's basically, you know, kind of in a holding pattern right now in many respects. Now, of course, as we discussed earlier in the week, you know, if there's some blue chip guys out there that we're chasing, want to commit, we'll absolutely take them. But a lot of your coaches are kind of out of town right now. They're their last big summer fling before fall camp begins because we're going to have another top dog camp. And I, I hate calling it that, but uh, big dog camp at the end of the month. Your players will be back on 27th. And I understand that the uh, the last guy we're waiting on, I guess there's two. I guess Hardrick was one, and he's cleared. And so Jacoby Moore, that's the uh, great receiver out of Harrison Central, he is the last guy that we're waiting on. So I checked on that earlier this week, and it was told that he is finishing up an online course. And once that is reviewed and accepted by the NCAA, and it will be, that um, he's good to go. He is uh, taking that online course uh, through another institution, and it's just really a matter of time. It's just a matter of just getting the file reviewed now. Uh, you know, and this is a guy too that you know he 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 had some work to do, but he's not an academic risk. That's the first thing people think is, oh, something must be wrong. No, I mean just some, you know sometimes. Sometimes guys don't get their high school schedule right. You know, sometimes there's some core credits they need to take, and for one reason or another they don't, and so then they got to play catch-up, and that's kind of the situation here. Jacoby Moore is an intelligent young man, very articulate, going to do a good job. And he'll be here for fall camp. You know, he's kind of running out of time to get here for, uh, for second session of summer school, and that's okay too. You know, we don't expect a major contribution from him this year. But we need to get him in here and get him into our strength and conditioning program and kind of get him going. Now, I have been told by sources close to the program, let's just say that, that this year's Leech Beach makes uh, last year's kind of like, I guess the best way to say it is like, so last year's Leech Beach was Biloxi 
And then, like, this year's Leech Beach is Daytona, if you know what I'm saying. Like, the, the rigors of Leech Beach this year far exceed what we had last year. And I think perhaps a lot of that is because of the fact that, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting up to speed. Last year we didn't have spring practice, and we didn't have all that going on, and we had to be a lot more careful. Well, they're absolutely getting after it. And uh, I've had multiple people tell me that the guys are rising to the challenge. You know, they recognize that more is being demanded of them this year, and they're being coachable. At the same time, too, they're getting some naps in after that Leech Beach workout, for sure. These guys are working hard, you know, for you. And that's one of the things that Mike Leach said when he first got here is we're going to outwork everybody. We're going to be prepared for the fourth quarter. We're going to learn to push through adversity. And they're facing a lot of adversity in the Leech Beach. I'm glad to hear it. And that's the thing, too, that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate. These guys want to be pushed. Guys that want to be great want to be pushed harder than they've ever been pushed, and not, you know, not in a negative way. They, want, they don't want to be browbeat, but they want to be coached. They want to be developed. They want to improve. And a big part of that is the strength and conditioning piece of the summer workout. These guys want to work, and the guys that don't are somewhere else. I mean, go look at the transfer portal, right? And listen, Mississippi State's not going to be for everybody. It's just not. I love it here. I, I'm here – you know, for as long as they'll let me stay. I think it's wonderful here. I love the people here. Sometimes I, I, I drive down Highway 12, and I'm like, I can't believe I live here. It's, it's, just, it's the perfect place for me. And there are other people, too, that say, you know what? Starville's not for us. But let me tell you this. Even if Starville is for you, if you don't want to work hard, Mississippi State's not going to be for you. And that's kind of the thing that Mississippi State fans kind of you know resonate What kind of – makes us feel like we're part of something special is because we work hard. You know, if you look at our history and our legacy as a university and as a people, you know, we're the guys, you know, we're the people that are plowing the fields and and we're the people out there doing manual labor. We're the blue-collar bunch. You know, we're, we're the people that are built on work ethic and strong values. And so there are a lot of things that Mississippi State fans can put up with, and I discussed this, you know, back when we were struggling a little bit with women's basketball, is, you know, we understand that losing is part of competition. A lack of effort is not. And that's one thing Mississippi State fans are not going to accept is a lack of effort from anybody. We just won't do it because it's not who we are. It's not in our DNA. There's no quitting us. It's like that's one of the reasons I think our baseball team had so many fans is we're like, you know what, they're going to find a way. Just like most Mississippians do, we just have this kind of quiet humility about ourselves and some true grit. When bad things happen, we just find a way to figure it out. And so that is what you're seeing from Mike Leach, is we're instilling some of those values in the guys, and we recruited guys with those values for the most part too. And so I say those things to say this, is your football team is out there working hard. And I know a lot of these people out there projecting us to have a negative season. I'm not buying it. Listen, do I think we're going to contend for anything like a Florida Bowl? No, I don't. I think we are a solid bowl team, and I think you know probably the floor is six and six, and probably the ceiling eight and four. Medians right there at seven and five. I got a lot of faith in Mike Leach. I got a lot of faith in his staff. I got a lot of faith in his team. But I also understand too there is a developmental piece with this, and we probably need to take another step. You know, this is the step to get back over five hundred after a very difficult year last year, playing a hundred percent SEC schedule. So, you know, we've had some quarterback issues. We know who our guy is. 
you know, for the first time since Nick Fitzgerald left, we know who our quarterback is, and that's Will Rogers. I know Jack Abraham is here, and he's going to compete and, and make life hard on uh, Will as best he can, but it's going to be Will's job to lose. But, you know, we're going to be in good shape. We're going to be a tough football team. We're going to play a tough brand of football. We're going to tire people out. We're going to beat people up. Then we'll see what happens when the scoreboard, uh, you know, turns double zero on the clock there. Remind you guys, I'll be at Turnrow Books in Greenwood this Thursday, 5 to 7.30. Come out and say hello. We'd love to see you guys. And if you're looking for the other books, you can find them at great bookstores around Mississippi. But if you're not in Mississippi, let me encourage you to visit alphadogsthebook.com. That's alpha, D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. And you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. If you want copies of Blims of Oleander and you don't care if they got my signature on them or not, you can order them from Amazon, Books A Million, or barnesandnoble.com. If you need personalization, you need to contact um, Bookmark Cafe in downtown. And again, of course, I'll be signing everything there in turn row, and pretty soon we'll be finalizing a date next month for Lemuria Books. So again, I'm not going to do a ton of dates uh, this summer, but uh, you know we'll do some game day signings once we get into football season. And of course, you know the holiday season will be incredibly busy as uh, you know I look to finish up the, you know, the dog pile book tour too. So. And then, you know, we're going to be signing books for a long time. And uh, by the end of this year, I'll have, I'll have five books on the market, which is amazing to me. Uh, I look back at my life, and sometimes I wonder how I got here. But uh, you guys are a big part of that, and I thank you guys for your support. And so many of you have bought books and been so gracious to share with me uh, your enjoyment of the books and your feedback. And, and uh, it is absolutely incredible. We are really a family, and I'm so blessed to be part of all this. So we'll be back together on Friday. Who knows what we're going to talk about then? Who knows? You know, it's the thing. You start looking at this thing. It's it's already the middle of July. You know, we may want to start looking around and kind of previewing some of the SEC, looking at some of the football things around here and kind of feeling good about life because here in a couple of weeks we're going to be covering with some Mike Leach press conferences and have a lot more to talk about. I, I love Mississippi State. I know you guys do too. Let's enjoy this summer. Let's enjoy celebrating a championship. We've waited so long for this. And let's don't rush that. Let's don't rush back to being negative and being at odds with each other. Let's just enjoy that moment. Because, you know, I wish we could live in that euphoria like those last couple of innings when we knew we had it. We're just kind of waiting for the game to end, but we could just kind of enjoy the fact that our boys were better than Vanderbilt. I wish we could kind of live with that mentality in mind because we kind of love and respect each other. And it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't even care that we were arguing earlier this year. I don't care if we had a difference of opinion about this or that. All I know is that right now we're a family and we're celebrating a milestone that we never thought we'd see. Uh, we certainly hoped for it, but for the first time in our lifetime, we're NAFL champions. And let's never, ever, ever forget that. Let's not forget how that feels either. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mom. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.